listening to Nonstop Rock Talk with Tyson Brighton. Kevin Gale and Neil Busby, welcome again to Nonstop Rock Talk. Jesus, man, I'm super excited for tonight's episode. Of course, for those who may not know, Kevin and Neil played together in the 90s in Toronto band Slick Toxic. You guys were kind of the big buzz in the early 90s, late 80s on the Toronto scene. So before we get into any of that, welcome. And how are you guys doing? Fantastic. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Tyson. Thanks again for asking me to do another one of your great podcasts. Thank you. Thank you for joining me, guys. This is I'm, I'm kind of super, like I said, kind of excited about this episode. Before we get started, I just wanted to, to, to bring something up and, and with Neil, because and, it's been like forever since we've actually sat and talked. Neil, do you remember when we were, record, when we were writing Just Fade Away? Yeah. Okay, so you remember me walking into rehearsal and you said, Normal! Play something in this! Back, back, <laughs> as soon as I walk into the rehearsal room. Do you remember that? I'll never forget that as long as I live. That's how it works. That's how you do it. Just gotta jump in the moment. So I did. I had a drum beat, and uh, don't think it was anybody else there at the time. Um, okay, so let's get into writing the second record. Was anybody else there at the time? Let's no. get. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> let's get to that. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So now, I mean, the reason being that I'm kind of super excited about this because this is kind of the first time we've ever done this on my show. We're going to be dissecting. Uh, the two LPs, Doing the Nasty and Irrelevant, and the one EP, Smooth and Deadly. Um, but before we get into that, I want to ask about the show that recently surfaced on YouTube that featured Slick, Slick Toxic at the Phoenix in Toronto on May 18th, 1991. It looks to be pro shot. Do you guys recall what was what that was all about and why it was never officially released? I have no idea. It's all I know is is that we sounded absolutely great, and, and I was kind of blown away watching it, going, "Wow, that was a really good show." Yeah, I've, I watched it, and it's it's unreal. It's so good. From what I figured out since when I first saw it, I was kind of confused myself because uh, I was playing on a rental kit or some kind some kind of supplied drum kit, and you know, normally I would never do that. And then I sort of put it up there and asked. Uh, on Facebook, if, uh, if anybody knew any, you know, like details about this show. And, of course, eventually Nick Walsh weighed in on it and said it was uh, something to do with Juno Week or Canadian Music Week. And it was at the Phoenix, and there was a few other bands there. I can't remember who else was there. No idea. But it was filmed by this guy, and Kevin might remember his name, California Cal. Oh, my God. I haven't heard that in five billion years. Holy shit. What, we got him for... Didn't he do something else for us, too? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he did. Uh, the reason his name came up is because Drew Masters also shared the video. And right. then California Cal weighs in on the Drew Masters post. And he goes, I shot that video. And... It was never released. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. Well, somebody did. Somebody grabbed it somewhere. And I think I have seen it advertised on the internet. There's those guys that used to sell uh, bootleg videos. And I oh, saw yeah. I had that show for sale on his bootleg video site quite a while ago. I never bought it. So I guess somebody actually went out and bought it and then uh, transferred it to YouTube World. I hadn't seen it before, so it must have been something fairly recent. But, yeah, uh, it, it's actually, it was actually really good. Like, the, the whole quality of it was great. Uh, whoever mixed us that night, was it Johnny mixing us that night? Probably. Could have been, uh, could have been, no, I should say. Yeah, Bruno mixing us or whatever. And, like, uh, the, the mix was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. Great show. It was just a uh, great, uh, I think a snapshot and testament to how good we really were back then. And that was, that was fairly early. I don't, I'm not sure if that was before doing the nasty came out. I think it was. I think it was nasty's 92, right? Yeah. So maybe it was around the time of the EP. It, it probably was because we were playing the instrumental. Of course, I think we continue to play the instrumental, but the only song that, there was a couple of songs that were on doing the nasty midnight grind and, and crash, but I think the rest of the stuff was all uh, from the EP. 
No, Sweet Asylum was on there too. So Sweet we did like Asylum was on there. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of. Did you guys always open with Midnight Grind? Because that was like stellar. No, no way. No, we didn't. It was Crash was the big opening one we used to open up with all the time. That's what I remember anyway. Yeah. Well, it's, the set list would change a lot, but yeah, I do recall we we would uh, start with Crash because. Uh, that was one of the songs I like to I like to devise ways of starting songs without stupid count ins. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Uh, so I said, how about if you just go crash at the wheel? Boom. And it's dead in. No uh, counts. No silliness. Yeah. Nothing. I hate count ins. One, two, three. Like, just can't stand it. There's other you ways. Mean, to play things. You don't wait to do it on your high hats? Come on. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Amateur hour. Amateur hour. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, we've got that out of the way, and that show is super cool. And um, it's kind of it's a little dark though at times, eh? Like there's a it, it, but I guess it was just the times. Whoever filmed it, whatever. Yeah, it's not a first generation copy, that's for sure. Yeah. I bet you anything. The original video, which I. I may or I don't know if I've ever seen it. I think I did. I'm pretty sure the original video is it's much more brighter and crisper, and a, a first generation copy would be really good to see something yeah. put out there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I know somebody's got one. Who? Nick. So he says. Uh huh. Hmm. That's interesting. <sighs> oh well. Yeah. Right. Well, it is what it is. So. Let's get yeah. down. Let's get down to business. Let's begin with the debut EP, "Smooth and Deadly." Now, before okay. before we go into those four tracks, give me a little in, insight to this release because it's kind of like a one of those things where people may not know uh, the whole history behind this EP leading into doing the nasty. Kevin, oh. <laughs> <laughs> hello. We did that. We did that EP after the record. Like we recorded it after the record, and it it was the one that came out first. And I don't I don't know. Like I guess EMI sat on that record for sat on sat on nasty for like a year after we finished it. So we put out the EP first. Really? Eh? That's interesting. Yeah. And why? But wait, wait. Oh, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Didn't we record most of those songs during the? the- the course of doing all this stuff for the album, but some of the songs like uh, Riff Rap, that was recorded in a different session than doing the Yeah, it was, it was done after we finished the record, from what I remember and what I recall. It was done after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went back in after we did the, the two sessions for doing the Nasty. And, and I don't remember why they wanted us to do that. Like, I don't remember why they wanted us to go in and re-record, like, and, and record the EP and put, you know, BFD on on both records, which it's it, it still, to me, I, I'm still kind of confused with about, with about all that. But, you know, I, I just, whatever, that's, they knew what they were doing, supposedly, so. So, you didn't re-record BFD, though. It was, the, no, both same. versions are the same, right? So they are. Wow. So I mean, a song like "Riff Raff," which, which did you guys play that one live very often? Well, yeah, yeah, we played that a lot. Lot. Um, I'm not sure when we started dumping it, though. Um, I guess you know it's kind of weird. I, I we did play that a lot live. I don't really recall when we started dropping that out of the set, but we did drop that out of the set for a reason too, didn't we? Yeah, because it stinks. <laughs> You're honest, Neil. <laughs> it's not a great song. It's not. That's why it's the EP. That's... You know, as time goes on, the more things change, the more they stay exactly was, the same. Was would awesome. you say? Would you say, Kev, like that was a song that was like an early slick toxic song, or was? Absolutely, it was. Absolutely I can tell because a... the maturity on doing the nasty to that song is a little bit. You know, it's not quite up to par. Of doing no. the nasty, right? No, because that song stinks. <laughs> <laughs> that that doesn't go back to the portrait days, though, does it? No, it's not that far back. No, right? No, it's 
And what about, oh, so, and so now getting to Mass Confusion, was that kind of an early one as well? Or what do you guys remember of that tune? I don't remember when we started, rec- when we even recorded that or when we even wrote it. Do you remember that, Neil? Uh, I think it came about because of the, the success of the uh, Saturani stuff that was, that he did a lot of like instrumental stuff and that was an influence on that song for sure because it's like yeah. a boogie kind of like a satch boogie kind of thing yeah uh why we did an instrumental i'm not quite sure but uh, it was a part of the set to uh to give nick a little bit of a break you know singing a song after song after song and between that and the drum solo well he got some nice breaks during the night that's for sure yeah, yeah absolutely wow absolutely and and I mean the cool thing about there's Rachel's breathing and then there's Rachel's dead on the on doing the nasty which is which is kind of you know it's kind of a cool thing um, yeah it kind of coincided together and it made made it all cohesive I guess you could call it absolutely but you guys didn't do you you did Rachel's breathing live but didn't do Rachel's dead is that correct yeah yeah yeah. We had that pre-recorded, and we usually have that as the walk-off music. Right, right, cool. So, I mean, do you guys remember in terms of how well the EP sold when it came out? Did was there a big buzz about the EP, or were people more excited to get the full-length album? I think both. I'm again, I, I don't, I don't really remember, but I think both. I think it was, I think it was both. I think there, there was a. There was enough buzz about the EP, and I mean the EP was good in its own right for what it was. I mean Rachel's breathing was on that. I I, I like that song. I don't know if Neil thinks it sucked, but I like that song. <laughs> now was there? I mean, looking at the the album cover, was there was there an actual bottle, or was that just superimposed onto that bottle? It's an actual bottle. Really? That was not. Huh? And it actually had the slick, toxic, smooth and deadly logo on it, and all that stuff. Yeah, we had we had go ahead. No, no, sorry, Neil. Go ahead. We had this whole package made up. It was, and I think that was one of the bottles from that. It was like a a gift set that they used to give out to radio stations and record people and promoters and stuff. It it was this really nice box set with the CDs in it and shot glasses, and there was a bottle in it, presumably with alcohol in it. And I still got it here somewhere. Oh, you do? Okay. Really? That's pretty cool. Wow. Like I said, he's the curator of all things like toxic. He's yeah. got it. Every, you've got everything, Neil. You probably just drank what was in it, Kevin, threw the bottle away. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, let's go to doing the nasty, which I mean is the, it's kind of the, I guess you would say the big album of, of the three, I think. I don't know. Yeah. One thing, before we go to Nasty. Yeah. There, we played Riff Rap live on Much Music. It was the first time we ever appeared on Much Music. And I used to have it on a VHS. It's long gone now. But we were at the Much Music Studios playing Riff Rap just in the middle of the place. And that was probably the best that the song ever sounded. When we played it there, it was a good energy to it and everything. But that's one video clip that I would love to see. I haven't seen that in a, you know, a couple of decades now, Lee, or longer. I know I had it on VHS, but if anybody out there can find that <laughs> on their old VHS collection, put it up on YouTube. It'd be great to see it. Yeah, it's kind of like Dini Petty. I actually tried to get Dini Petty from CFTO, and they didn't know where it was. I used yeah. to have it. I taped it when, I mean, but it was in mono. I remember taping it. And you guys did By the Fireside. I can't remember if you did some, if you did White Lies. Yeah, yeah, it was me, Rob, and Nick that went down to that. Yeah. yeah. No, no, we did, there was a, we did a full band performance. We did White Lies at some kind of. Uh... You're right. Sorry. You're right. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I don't, my, my brain just, you know, doesn't remember this shit, but yes, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it's all good. All right. So we're going to do in the nasty. So we didn't talk about big fucking deal on, 
off the EP because I mean it's there's there's two uh, it's available on both. But um, what do you guys remember of that song? Like, um, I think Kev, you've told me before that you guys kind of got you know it got stale after a while of a song that said big fucking deal in it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, straight ahead, like, you know, 12-bar blues song. It's like, you know, an A. It's, it's, it, it, it is, you know, it's, it's a great sing-along song. And, yeah, I mean, we played it a lot of the nights, but there were some nights we didn't play it. And, and again, it's good sing-along, you know, and one of those kind of things. And it was, it's a fun song to record. It was a fun song to record. And, you know, it was great. Cool. That was the first song that we did for the Doing the Nasty Sessions. Okay. It was the first? I think it was hmm. the first, from my recollection. I remember that was the first day we were in the studio doing that. And we are all kind of a little bit uh, shy, I guess, about playing it the correct way that we normally would. So we did a couple of takes where the ending was just kind of like bland. There was no, it wasn't the live version of, of like the energy of the song. So eventually... We ended up with the version that's on there, with the big ending, the big wind-up ending at, at the at the uh, conclusion of it. There, it sounded a lot better than originally we had it. A few, a few takes into it, but eventually we got used to being in the studio. You know, yeah. got over mm-hmm. the, uh, the nervousness and everything. But that was a good song, like for the crowd participation thing, which of course was popular at that time. It was good. You know, you could like play with the dynamics and get the crowd into it. Uh, if you see the live video I've got on my YouTube channel from where we're playing at Rock and Roll Heaven, of course, we end. I think we end with that song. And it's like, it's really powerful the way we did it back then, bringing it down and throwing in some funky stuff. So it was a, a good part of the set for sure. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. I remember when we when we first walked into phase one, I just know that it was like I couldn't believe the size of studio like like studio A when we walked in there. I could not believe the size of that room. And, you know, you know, the, taking all things aside, I mean, you know, we recorded that record, you know, I mean, we really like there was no cutting and pasting. There was no none of that shit. We just went in and we played the songs. And, you know, like I said, you know, I've always maintained that that Neil kept a solid solid rhythm of this band together in that in that studio. It was it was really a great learning experience all the way around. For sure, that's awesome. Now, going to hell of a time. Uh, initially, did did the label feel that that right off the hop was going to be the first single? I think so. I think. Uh... That was kind of the focus other than White Lies, and I'm pretty sure that they thought they needed to have something pretty heavy, but still catchy to put out there initially to present the band. And of course, they had the great video that went along with it. Yeah. So, And, and that one, you know, definitely it stood out from the pack as being a, a cool, heavy, groovy song yeah. with a great chorus. Yeah. And if we'd stuck out White Lies before that, I think the the overall sort of feel of the band would have been different. Because White Lies had this kind of weird country tinge to it. <laughs> the way it turned <laughs> out. But uh, Hell of a Time, Hell of a Time was, was interesting. In, uh, rhythmically. Like for me, I did some interesting things in it. And I was surprised yeah. when I got away with some of this stuff. And they, you know, they didn't uh, say, you know, don't do this, don't do that. So it was good. I mean, initially, actually, I remember working on that song in rehearsal at, uh, what was that place in Scarborough? Oh, uh, Certain Circles. Certain Circle Studios in Scarborough. And uh, it was the first, our first uh, experience with the producer. So we had Paul Gross come out and we had Anthony Vandenberg, the secondary producer, come out. And we were working on that song. And we had been playing it for quite a while already, live, with our different shows that we did. So we all had a, an idea of the way it was being played. And then they started dissecting everything. And of course, they start with the drums. And I was like, I didn't want anything to do with it. I was like, what are you doing? Like, go away. This is what I'm doing. But then I sat on it and I kind of slept on it, came back the next day and sort of 
gave them what they wanted, make them happy, but I still managed to get some cool stuff in there, like the double hi-hat thing at the beginning and the China hits and uh, the beat shifting stuff, which of course I stole from Rod Morgenstein from Winger, but hey, whatever. Nice. I got it on there. I got it on there twice, actually. It's in uh, it's in Crashed as well at the end. I threw it in. Yeah, so it was it nice is. to get in some stuff. And that that I remember when when Robin and I were trying to figure that out, and and you first started doing that off time at the end. That Robin and I were completely bamboozled by the whole goddamn thing. We were like, what? And we we're trying to follow that, and then eventually, I think I, I, I think you because I started following the hat. And I think that that's that's what kept me in time on that. But that was a complete complete head fuck with the first time you did it. Well, that's the idea. <laughs> okay, thanks, thanks very much. Appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> he thought about it the night before. You know how I'm going to fuck up Kevin and Rob. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No. You know what he would do? No, what he would do is do you still play Neil? Do you still use the sticks with the plastic tips at the end? No, I've graduated since then. So what do you hit people on stage with now? Just the normal, you know, standard kind of heavy five Bs. But the thing is, the, the thing is, is that he could, he could, he could make it so because I was always on his ride side, so he could make it so he could knock the tips off, and or he would try to at least and knock the tips off and usually aim at me, so that I usually get one in the back of the head or my ass or something like that as the, as the show was going on. <laughs> That's then you awesome. have to entertain yourself back there, you know? You yeah. have to... I know, I know, Neil. I get it. That's funny. Like, now, yeah. now, Sweet Asylum, which was... Which, I mean, was a video. What was, That was the third video, I believe? Was it? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, that, I mean, that song is is heavy. It's, uh, it's almost too... It, it's actually surprising that... Um, that after White Liza, they would release that. Was there... Was that their decision to release that, or did you guys kind of fight for that one? We fought for it. They wanted to do Fireside, and we fought for Sweet Asylum. Wow. Yeah, but then they they release they released Fireside as a single without yep. a video, and then they released uh, Sweet Asylum as a video and not a single. So, it, kind of a confusing way to do things. But it, you know, I like the video though, and I like that song. It's an, another one that. Uh, it was fun to play. Fun to play, and there was a lot of thought that went into it. I think that the arrangement's really cool, and I know from my, I mean, I'll talk about my <laughs> my part here, Yeah. but uh, that's what I know about, because I don't play guitar. I didn't back then, anyways. Uh, Dude, a lot of thought did go into that drum part, so it's not just standard stuff. If you listen to the verse, there's a lot of tom hits and offbeat cymbal hits that are totally composed to go with the song so that it moves from beginning to end. Even back then, I was thinking about stuff like that. I didn't want to sound like your typical guy, just two and four on the snare. So I'm no. proud of that song for sure. And there's a little bit of double bass in there and some cool fills. Oh, the double bass in the middle section is amazing. The solo section is amazing. Yeah, it's just jugga, 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 nothing. But it was... But it, 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 as a picking exercise, it was fun because I would do like like if you listen to the record because it's like like I would do like one bank and then I do another bank on the next track so you hear one and then the other so if you hear it it sounds like it's back going back and forth but again that's all like you know following the bass drum and following whatever right so and it's just it, it's just alternate picking down the you know the one half sharp strings it's easy. Plus, that, that's a song that uh, definitely you cannot say that that is a song that is in any way, shape, or form hair metal. No! No. Not even Hell no. Hell no. Not anywhere close. So, no. like, when we get, we get lumped in with uh, a lot of bands that really we had nothing to do with, and, and Sweet Asylum is a song that is way more progressive leaning, and it was, it's foreshadowing where we went with Irrelevant. Yeah, and yeah, it's agreed. definitely showing the style, the total unique style of the band in that song. It's dark, it's mysterious sounding, it's heavy, and it sure as hell isn't Poison or Warrant or Ooh. any of that stuff that was out at the time that we're being lumped into, right? Yeah. 
So I think that's the standout track. Yep, I do too. I, that is well. That was one of my favorite ones. That and the Midnight Grind were my favorite songs. I think to play off that record. Yeah, there's another great example. Yeah, of uh, oh, a song I, not here. Right here. Song. Oh, that oh sorry. No, I, I guess we're gonna get there. We'll get to Midnight Grind. It's the last song. Yeah. Now let's let's go to White Lies, Black Truth. Now, I mean, I guess technically it would probably be the biggest charting song, maybe. Was it? I don't know where it charted, so I'm not really sure. Not either. Uh, as a single, I, I don't know where it would have stood on the it was singles all, charts. It was all over the radio and video at that time. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely was. And um, I think if if you ask people, if you say, oh, Slick Toxic, then you say, oh, White Lies, Black Truth, that's usually the one that people know. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? It was a good crossover song. It's definitely a a lighter song, a more uh, straight-ahead rock song. Um, originally, like, there's a, actually, I don't know if you've heard, the version that got released when we did the irrelevant uh, digital release, there's a demo version of White Lies on there that we did. What's that studio with the... Uh, oh, oh, what, Andrew St. George, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, comfort Sound, I think. Oh, comfort. don't worry, we'll the computer guy. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, uh, it was Comfort Sound. We did, there's a demo of that that, that came, finally got released with the uh, relevant digital version. And you, if you compare the two mm -hmm. with the one that's on doing the nasty, although the nasty one is definitely produced better, sounds better, there was a certain charm that was on the original demo that kind of disappeared. I think it was overproduced myself. In my opinion. Yeah, I think it was overproduced. And like I said earlier, it kind of almost veers into country territory. And I was a little bit, yeah. That, can't, that cannot happen. Yeah. <laughs> to a rock band. So, that's my no. opinion of it. That's funny. Yeah. I, I, I would say, you know what, it was, again, another another fun song to play. Um, not one of my favorites off the record, but definitely a fun song to play and, and one that I enjoy playing. Um, I, I can totally see where the country, you know, how that, that country thought does get into that because it is it is a very country sound. Like, I mean, yeah, it is. you know, put a couple of Telecasters on us and away we go, right? So, well, I mean, it's those kind of things. Like, I mean, if you watch the, and I was at the show, the RPM show uh, on the Irrelevant Tour, where you guys kind of mixed it, uh, Rolling Stoned it, kind of, it was a little yes. bit more, right? Exactly. Like a honky-tonk woman type of, you know. Yeah, well, it wasn't so much acoustic. It was more uh, clean electric. Right. And that version that's on uh, that uh, show that I have on YouTube there, yeah, you you nailed it. That's exactly how it sounds. It's a bit more gritty and yeah. more of a rock sound as compared to all the acoustic guitars that were layered on on the the album version. And yeah. I think if we'd done it, you know, this is just my opinion, right? I think if we'd done it a little more of that stonesy kind of gritty vibe, it would have fit the lyrics better, and yeah. it would have enhanced the video that much more because the the video did a good representation of the lyrical content and the lyrics I think are very good and they were decidedly anti-drug yes at a time when the uh the grunge scene was just starting to come up and of course they were just complete junkies so yeah. I was quite happy to be involved in a song that was very much anti-drug and uh, living poor lifestyles. So I think yeah. the music could have been a bit grittier, but hey, I still think it sounds good. Yeah, I, I think. I still yeah, but I mean, you know, and, and Neil is right. I mean, when we started getting into the irrelevant era of Slick and we stopped using the acoustic for White Lies and stuff, I, I think that he's right. It does, it does represent the song a little bit better than, than what we recorded it as. It sounds great, but it's not, like I said, it's not, uh, it's not, it's not the way it should have been presented. Right. One good thing about it, though, I, I got to say, 
to me, that's one of Nick's. Like he does some amazing vocal performances on there, but that one, just because of the the lyrical content and his delivery of the lyrical content on that song was was very much uh, a passionate delivery. Uh, very authentic. Very authentic. You know, very. His tone is just fantastic on that, and it really sells it. It really sounds. That's one song that does sound like this is a big time band. Yeah, well, I agree. This is not I just agree. a band that's doing silly heavy metal stuff. This this is something serious here, and they're good at what they do. They got good lyrics, and the singer sounds amazing. Agreed. Agreed. Hundred percent. Agree. Hundred percent. Now let's go to Cherry Bomb. I mean. That- I remember the first time I heard that song and I was like, wow, this song, I just love the groove of it. It was like that bluesy kind of, and there's, you know, that whole intro part was cool. And Yeah. And that was all of us sitting in a room, just recording it and, and whatever. And you can hear John Boyce going I, 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 at the beginning of that. That's, that was the second half of our manager at that point. Um, do making that sound. So that was pretty funny. Um, again, just, you know, another straight ahead rock song. Great you know, a great rhythm in that, in that whole song. And it, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a bouncy chordal progression over top of that. It was, it's, it's really cool uh, on that. But again, you know, Pat delivered a great bass line on that. I mean, even though he was just sort of just riding on one string, the way he locked in with Neil, especially on the bass drums and on that, that kind of, thing, that, that was really cool. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was a good boogie blues kind of tune. Not particularly my favorite, but it was a good, fun rock song. To me, kind of a throwaway thing. Uh, yeah. you know, all those voices, the voices at the beginning, all that stuff. I think that was just a lot of stuff recorded in the studio. But if you listen really close, you can hear the producer, uh, Paul Gross. He goes, uh, all right, let's grab it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? Because that's him. And, all right, let's do the take. So it's, it's pretty much live, that's for sure. That's cool. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, it adds that intro makes the song feel like it's a barroom boogie, you know, like you're kind of like, you know, it's that blues number, but it makes you feel like you're in a bar. That's, yep. that's the way I always interpreted it, at least. Yeah. So, I mean, whoever's vision that was, it was well done. So, yeah. Cool. Now let's go to Marionette. That, I think, was a portrait. Um, song like that was uh, before Neil came in, and then of course Neil put his magic to it. Um, and again, it, it was never one of my favorite songs to play. It had a great groove, um, you know. That's as you know, yeah. And, and it was it, it was fun to play, but it was never one of my favorites. I always like how Nick sang it, though. Yeah, I always loved it. I always thought, like, I mean, his uh, his delivery on that song was. I always thought it was cool. Cool. I think that was that was the first Slick Toxic song that I'd ever heard because that was one of the ones that was on the cassette that I got from the management company. Remember, I told you the story about how they gave me the wrong cassette. Yeah. <laughs> and I got home and it was some horrible prog band. I'm like, oh my god, this is Slick Toxic. But then when I got the original one, got it back, right? And it was uh, it was Marionette and uh, that whole slew of songs that were uh, that were written before I came around. Yeah, and that was, I think probably one of the first ones I listened to. And it was like, wow, you know, this is uh, pretty cool stuff. It's got that good street rock vibe. It's got a little bit of the Guns and Roses thing happening. And I thought right away, wow, this 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 guy can sing. Yep, he sure can. Yeah, that's for sure. It's not easy. Ah, now there's a song. Mm. that's a cool song that to me uh, again embodies where the band was heading and it, it really demonstrates once again that we were not hair metal we were had nothing in common with all those bands because that's a that's a weird song you know it's very normal it's, it's very unique there's some very interesting things rhythmically that happen in that song and the lyrics are weird. A lot of in jokes going on in those lyrics to do with uh, people that 
by I guess basically Nick and I guess Kevin with people that those guys would know uh, people that I didn't know but I kind of got the got the joke just by listening to you know what he's talking about there basically it's a song about partying and getting drunk and vomiting and stuff like that but the music the music's a great standout there's some cool stuff in there I love that that little bridge section where where Pat does his slap bass yeah yeah and there's that whole breakdown section where we go to a, all of a sudden it goes to like a shuffle feel. And, yeah, yeah. And all that kind of stuff that it's very, uh, it's difficult to do to jump back and forth between like just straight four and then go to the triplets and back again. So it shows yeah. that uh, we weren't hacks, that's for sure. Oh, I was a hack. No, Kevin. No, no, no. Don't say that. No, no. No, don't say that. Don't be so hard on yourself, man. Okay, now, so let's go to Crashed. But actually, I will make note before we go that it's not easy as a song that Mensa's Mensa's praying to the porcelain god, does it not? Yes, it does. Which, which hence is, I mean, I always termed it as the album cover with the guy... You know, the blue moon, there's the blue moon and praying to the porcelain god and all that stuff. So, yep, absolutely. Right. Okay. So now, now let's go to Crashed. Kevin? Yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> Why, well, yes, Neil, I will, I, will, I will feel this question. Um, yeah. Crashed is a, Crash, Crash was a, a, again, you know, a fun song to do as an opener. Again, because Neil didn't want to count it in. And I don't blame him because countings do sound stupid. Um, but it was kind of weird because it was written in, in, in C sharp. So it, it's, it's, it, it's kind of fitting cause you can go C sharp in the A, E and A and, and have it all relative, but nobody except for the bleeps and stuff like that was writing stuff in C sharp that I was aware of, but the, the, the riff was really fun to play and really cool. And then Rob and I, Rob would do, you know, the main riff and I do the, the do the fifth harmony on that. So it would like right at the end of the riff, the beginning of it, which was really cool. Um, and you know how the rhythm patterns all fall, fell together in that song, even from the you know the the um, you know Nick's vocals, and then when it goes into the pre-chorus and it it, it sort of chugs along, it's like bam 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 bam, and it's sort of getting like going like it's sort of rushing on onto the one. It was it was it's a really fun song to play, and I really enjoyed writing that one too, like working and writing that. But see, that was one of the songs. That uh, because it wasn't considered to be a single, we were kind of left to like put it together ourselves, and there wasn't too much input from the producers. So we got a we got away with a lot of stuff on it. That uh, there's a, like a, again, I got away with a lot of drumming stuff. There's some cool fills at the end that I'm quite proud of. When I hear that stuff, I'm like, oh, well, I was uh, putting in some effort there for sure. Again, proud of my performance on that, and it's a unique-sounding song. It's got a good arrangement. It's different, and it stands out. Yeah, I agree. Definitely does. Uh, now, By the Fireside, oh. which is not one of my favorites. I have to admit that it's probably my least favorite on the album. <laughs> it's your ballad, right? There you go. Yeah. There's your ballad. I mean, it, it was... It, I, you know, it, there's you know there's some cool fills at the beginning that Neil did. You know, back back at the butt, right? I mean, Matt Sorum made a whole record of that. Yeah. Um, but that whole that whole that that whole fill at the beginning, and you know, it, it it's your ballad. I mean, and, and you know, it's, it's your ballad in E minor. It's it's uh, you know, and the harmonies were nice. It was, it was a nice. It was a nice song from the wee Canadian lad. <laughs> Uh, there is like okay yeah that, that fill at the beginning it's actually that type of fill but in reverse so i start on the snare and then the kicks come in it doesn't do the yeah. other way. so it's a little bit different than matt sorum there but uh one funny thing, one funny thing about that intro i remember listening to q107 one night back at the time and they played i think it's the song angel by aerosmith you know that Really yes. bad palette, you see? Yeah. And it starts, if you listen to the beginning of that, it has a drum fill, and it sounds very familiar. <laughs> so they played that. <laughs> no. Robin, 
Then they went and played by the fireside. By no. The fireside. You think someone picked up on that? Mockery of it or something. I was like, oh, you bastards, come on. I didn't, I don't think I consciously thought, okay, I'm going to steal that fill. It's not the same thing at all. Again, I use double bass in it, and Joey Kramer does not, but uh, yeah, not my favorite song, but it's still a good ballad. And you know what? There are, there's always elements of the songs that, again, shine through something a bit more special than the average hair metal crap that was out. And that's the bridge. The bridge in that song really turns the song up a notch. It turns it into a heavy song. And it's like, yeah. it's out of nowhere. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> what's this? Too bad the rest of the song wasn't like this. Because this part <laughs> was cool. But again, <laughs> you see the live version of that that's on YouTube. The sound's a bit wonky, but again, Nick Walsh sells that song. He sells the song. It's not a great ballad or anything, but my God, the vocals are just ridiculous. And the way he sang that stuff live was better than on the album. So that's what sold songs like that. Not the best songs in the world, like those particular ones, the lighter stuff, whatever. But he still manages to make it sound like something and when that bridge the kick the bridge kicks in on that song it's really good it's yes it is strong I, part of the i'm just kind of curious like when that song was brought in how you guys actually felt about it did you think oh this is this could be our you know this is our ballad and it's cool did you did you like it then neil i can't remember how it was presented or who came up with the initial spark of an idea or whatever. I can't really remember anything about that one. But at the time, you know, definitely we were of the mindset that that's something that you do. Like every band out there, you know, like even bands like Winger with top-notch players, amazing, really good musicians, they had ballads too. So we thought maybe, well, why not if it's a good song? It kind of, I guess, gives a little bit of a, a dynamic to the rest of it, where it kind of slows it down and just takes it somewhere else for a little bit on this on the album, as far as the the rest of the songs go, which are all pretty hard hitting. So it kind of had a purpose there for the flow of the yes. album. Absolutely, cool. Blood money. Ah, yeah. Oh, oh, here's here's a little story of that. Um, if you listen to the beginning of that, um, if you listen to the beginning of that, you can hear Nick, like as I'm doing the pick slide, you can hear Nick screaming about my pickup on that. So if you, if you listen to that, that, that's actually Nick screaming in the pickup. Again, you know, another straight ahead rock song. It was fun to play. Um, you know, and that was, the, that was another one that we wrote pretty much as soon as you got into the band, was it not, Neil? Uh, that was written before I came around because I remember the, the drum intro was a little bit different, so I changed it, and then we okay. recorded that at Comfort Sound, and it's on the the first demo that we did, and yeah. then we recorded it for doing the nasty, and yeah. uh, it's a good song, but it's just kind of a throwaway. It, it's not anything that I thought was a great, you know, like like hindsight from this position of listening to the stuff now. I don't listen to it at all. I listened to the old uh, demo that we did, just yeah. the, the sounds and the performances of everything there. But uh, not not a great song, in my opinion. Yeah, I like yeah. the lyrics though. Dave was a good lyricist, wasn't he? He had some yeah. good stuff. There's some yeah, good lines in there for sure. It, it was interesting. It was definitely interesting. Again, a lot, a lot of in-jokes in the lyrics. Absolutely. Yeah. Could see that. Now, to okay. nicotine. Neil? <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm taking over. Just talk Excellent. to me. That's all you got to do. I'm going to put my feet up and listen to the hey, show. Hey, get back here. <laughs> uh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Cheap Nicotine is uh, it's a good little rock song. 
It's well the cowbell makes it. Yeah, you gotta have the cowbell, that's for sure. You know, the only drum pattern I know how to play is that. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I know how to play. <laughs> but uh, I think that was one that kind of had a bit of that Guns N' Roses kind of vibe to it. And to me, it doesn't rank up there with like the good standout tracks. It's just another kind of filler one. Like I think pretty much the, the album has a good solid six amazing songs and kind of six okay songs. And I've heard that in, in reviews that I've read over the years. It's like that these guys had just had six more great songs maybe it would have gone a bit longer, but then, you know, we got destroyed by grunge anyways, but, uh, yeah, not my favorite kind of rock and music. I had some fun with it, playing the cowbell, of course, but it's yeah. too sweet to add too. I'm not a huge fan of, of blues or blues rock, so when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, eh, gotcha. okay, it's all right. Yeah, for me, it was fun, and I, you know, it was a fun song to play. You know, that was the that was the solo I got thrown, so it was it was fun to play, right? So it was all good. I like that song actually. I did then. I, I don't think I, I. I mean, your your preferences change over the years, and you know, being. Yes, because you know everybody grows up, and nobody's the exact same as that they were back right. then, right? So I think I think I love yeah. Midnight Grind and Sweet Asylum more now than I did back then. Because I was, I think because I was such a hair rock guy at that time that, you know, that I was probably more inclined to love cheap nicotine and cherry bomb and stuff like that. And, but I loved hell of a time and big fucking deal. And, you know, and I did like white lies. So absolutely. I often wonder what, uh, we, we, we did a tour with faster pussycat. We opened up for faster pussycat. And I wonder what some of the audience of Faster Pussycat would have thought of our songs because we're nothing like them no. at all. Nothing. No. Like, you know, we had double bass drums in songs. We had good lead guitars going, like interesting arrangements, heavy, heavy stuff. Opening for Faster Pussycat. Like, yeah, sure, they're a good band, but it doesn't quite fit our world. And I don't know how people would have reacted back then to seeing us. I've heard some good reviews of people that saw us open up for them saying, yeah, we blew them off the stage. That's, but that's hey. a good point. I mean, for me, I think, like, to see you guys had to open for Skid Row on Slave to the Grind, I think that would have made more sense than opening up for Foster Pussycat. Or, or even Absolutely. maybe for that, you know, like, you know, that kind of, but it is what it is, right? Yeah. Well, that's why I think actually when we opened up for Ingvay Malmsteen, it was kind of a good idea because we were a bit more of a musician's band and a heavier band, a serious band than uh, like a faster pussycat type of thing. So when we opened up for Ingvay, uh, that was probably more of our crowd, oh, yeah. really. Even though yeah. we were in Metal Edge magazine, you know, still I think we uh, kind of uh, were a bit beyond well, that. What was, uh, Neil, what was Ingve like? <laughs> Lydia, go get my cactus suit. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember too much about him. I just remember watching him on stage, and some nights he was really good, and some nights you could tell he was uh, under the influence, and he wasn't that good, and, and things were just completely go insane like he would stop playing and the band would just get like be all confused and carry on and he disappeared and come <laughs> back and crazy stuff but you know it's unfortunate when the guy was on it was, it was fantastic and he had a really good band really good band always had yep. the band he had back yes, then yeah. was, uh, top notch musicians so it, it when you see when you play with people like that, right? When you're when you're actually on the road doing shows and you're watching that level of musicianship every night, you want to step up your game. You want to like, okay, this guy's doing this. I want to do this even better. So it's good to be 
out there with bands like that and acts like that because it, it, it inspires you to become a better musician. That makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Now, let's get to Midnight Grind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. one of my favorites to play. Absolutely. The middle section alone, um, I ended up using a Strat and a JC120 for that clean picking part in the middle section, right? And it just... It, the, the whole the whole song just flows and it, it I, I I loved playing that song I really loved it I think it's a great song but okay I got uh -oh. something to say here uh oh here we go <laughs> yeah the mix let's talk about the mix okay and specifically uh, what happened to my drums on some of these songs. So, I don't know if you noticed, but you probably wouldn't unless you've seen it live and you really took note of what was going on in the drums. There's a bass drum missing from the mix. And we're talking about Midnight what? Grind, which has quite a bit double bass drum in it. Yeah. So, you listen to that first fill. The first fill in the song when, it, when I come in on the drums. Yeah. I don't go... It's... There's double kick in there. It's not there. Did you know that right? You must have noticed that right away. I heard it right away. I heard things missing from Sweet Asylum. There's Tom hits that are gone. There's all kinds of things missing because when we recorded it, they mic'd the kit and they stuck triggers on the kit to use later for triggering off samples. Right? So when they took it to LA to get mixed I think the guy just went for the triggers and whatever he did stuff got missing so there's kick drums missing there's toms missing and that is a perfect example right there and in the, I think you can kind of hear it in other spots but in the solo there's supposed to be this pattern like a like a galloping kind of uh, more of a metal type beat, but all that stuff. And the only reason you can kind of tell I'm playing double bass is because I'm doing the offbeat on those big fills, doo, 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 like the the triplet ones that go on at the end of the uh, the guitar solo and places like that. Because I'm doing the offbeat, you can kind of hear the uh, the difference against the snare but there's another kick in there and it's gone it's never been there no one's ever heard it so then when you hear it live it's like to me it's like oh okay yeah that's the way it's supposed to sound but it's gone and when i heard that i said guys there's stuff missing." i told bob nutella the manager i said bob there's drums missing from this mix he goes oh who cares i don't know whatever nobody notices anyway but i did oh Every, well, now wow, I do. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how stuff like that happened, but uh, <laughs> since we're here and I'm on a rant, there's so other weird things. Was other it things too. at the mixing? What's that? Wasn't Paul Gross at mixing with that? I, I don't know who went down to Los Angeles. I know that uh, Nick went and Rob Bruce went and whoever mixed it down there. I can't even remember who mixed it. Okay. Rose, I think, makes it. There's another thing. i got to tell you another thing. All right? So when you mix drums, you either mix it so that you're, when you listen on speakers, you're either looking at the drummer or you are the drummer. So you have it from player's perspective, which is like you're inside the kit, or you're looking at the kit on stage. So I like to have it so that you're looking at the kit on stage, so that the listener is actually viewing the music like they're looking at a concert. So, you, But if you listen to various songs on Nasty, you'll hear that they've gone player perspective, but my ride symbol is on. So player perspective means like I'm sitting in the kit right now, but the symbols are in reverse. So he's got the hi-hat on the, wrong side. On the yeah. side that it shouldn't be. The right symbol is on the opposite side from where it should be compared right. to where the toms are panned. I mean, it's all very technical things that maybe most people wouldn't notice, but hey, I'm the drummer, and I know exactly how it's supposed to be set up. Because I had two hi-hats, I had two chinas, I had uh, the four toms, and 
I know how everything's supposed to be in the stereo spectrum. And when I heard it, I'm like, okay, why is my ride cymbal bell over by my hi-hat? It shouldn't be there. And why Why is there no wow. kick drum? Anyways, That's insane, man. All these years Crazy. later, I thought that I would just bring it to light so people yeah. could listen to it. Huh. Maybe well, wow. it's now on a whole different yeah, perspective. I mean, now I'm going to pay attention to that now. I'm going to listen for that. Yeah, it's more absolutely. So, so all my yeah. listeners, this is more reason to go out and listen to doing the nasty again. So, because I'm going to, yeah. Another thing. All right, one more one thing. One more thing. Yeah, more rant. <laughs> it's all good, Neil. It's all good. When they were okay, this is about the guitars. Like you guys had Marshalls at the time, I think, right? I had a Marshall anyway. And in the studio. I was so surprised that they're doing using like Mesa Boogie and it just didn't sound good to me. The guitars don't sound that great. And it just doesn't have that that the power that you would get from a like a, a good heavy amp. Like uh I don't know what you guys are using. I remember looking at some Mesa Boogie thing and I'm going, My God, they're using this? Really? Well and, I'm my uh, for, for me, I'm I'm really happy with with the way my guitar sounded on that. I'm most happy with the way Rob sounded too. I know Rob uses Laney Head uh, for a bunch of stuff, and he used uh, Marshall for a bunch of stuff. Um, but when I double tracked uh, my guitars, I thought they were heavy enough. I thought they were totally heavy enough. It's all how you attack it, right? Yeah, but listen, listen to the difference between that and irrelevant where we had some really good amps brought in. Irrelevant had, I used a Marshall, I used a, I used an old 60s Marshall on, on Irrelevant with a, with a 59 Les Paul. Yeah. So that was, that was a little bit of a difference on that part, right? Yeah. To me, it just sounds much more heavy and more like, uh, more rock and roll. Yeah. My opinion. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Kevin's bummed out now. No, not <laughs> bummed out at all. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm, I was just completely happy with the, the fact that, you know, and, and, you know, looking back on it, okay, so there's drum. Yeah, you know what? That blows. Because, I mean, there was some really cool drum parts that should have been there that weren't. You're not happy with the guitar sound. But the biggest thing that I think that we missed from the whole thing was the experience of it all, right? And the experience of it all is we got fucking lucky as fuck. Because, you know what? We... There's no reason on God's green earth why we should have gotten to the size that we did, but we did because, you know, we were we were a fucking good band and we sounded great and we played it and pulled it off live. But, you know, there was a million bands that sounded great and pulled it off live. We were fucking lucky. And, you know, what? as far as I'm concerned, the experience alone was worth it all. Right. And it was great. Well, I disagree. All right. Well, whatever. I like I said, we, I'm we were lucky, but you know, okay, Kevin, think about it for a second. Think about the bands trying to get record deals in Canada back then, right? So who was around back then? Well, we don't have to name names, but uh, I think it was more than just luck. I think there was definitely a whole lot of talent there. We could oh, hold yeah. our own. Yeah. We could hold our own with the American bands. Yeah, and that's I what agree. made us. Uh, signable, and they knew it. I mean, from my perspective, when I saw Slick Toxic for the first time, I thought you guys like this was the total. This was the cool thing was you guys were Canadian, but you guys were like you just said, Neil, comparable with the American bands, and you guys stood with the American bands. And I bet you, if Americans saw you in a magazine, they probably had no. They just thought you guys fit in here. That here's this like here's this band Slick Toxic, awesome. Who didn't matter where they were from. Uh, like I said, we were we were a great band. We were we were a very tight band. We were a well rehearsed band. We rehearsed every fucking day. Uh, you know, like a, you know during during doing the nasty, we were in rehearsal every day, and uh, like we were we were a hell of a tight band. We were a great band. And we were good, but there was also a million other great bands out there, right? We got lucky, and that's the bottom line. We got fucking lucky, period. Okay. <laughs> it's all good. Listen, guys, here, here's what I'm thinking. I mean, we've already, 
we've already, we're an hour into this. I'm just wondering if maybe in a couple weeks, if maybe we touch on irrelevant. Sure. If you guys, are, yeah. you, are you guys down with that? I just, I just think if we, if we make the episode longer, people may lose interest and I want people to come back and listen to what, what you guys have to say a bit irrelevant and actually put in the same time that we did with doing the nasty. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right. We'll touch base and uh, we'll go from there. And you know, like, I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time with this because this is really interesting to me as such a fan too. So, well, I mean, I've been wanting to, like I said, I've been wanting to, you know, to to do these kind of things with Neil because he, you, he remembers a lot of the stuff that I don't remember on on, on a lot of the recording of doing the nasty and, and a lot of stuff like that. Um, he's got some great. You do have some really cool footage, Neil, of us at RPM, which was I, mean, I thought we were. We were amazing at RPM, the, that footage that you have there. Um, you've got a lot of really cool stuff, and you remember a lot of the stuff that I don't. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. All right. Well, I will I will touch base with you guys, and we'll figure out a time and a date, and we'll keep everybody in suspense, right? It's like oh, the, you're not going to ask the last question. No, no, we're not asking that last question tonight. We're going to save that last question. All right. We're going to save that and see, you know, people will listen and go, well, what's the last question? Well, we'll, we'll save that. Yeah. I got the last question. Okay. What's that, Neil? When's the book coming out? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah. Kevin and I have to, uh, we have to finish the book. Um, we've kind of been, how would you put it, Kev? Like, how would you say that we've, I moved this summer. Yeah, you know, you had baseball. You baseball. Had my dad passed away, and I yeah. separated from my wife and all that stuff. So, so it's been a little bit of a shit show for me this year, Neil. And Kevin's been busy. So, I I would assume I think we can probably let's hope let's kind of shoot for mid two thousand twenty. We'll have it finished, and then we can start shopping it. Twenty twenty one. We're in two thousand and twenty. 2020, yeah, two, I got tongue-tied there. 2021, yes, yes. So, yes, hey, so, great. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to reading it and seeing it put out there. Yeah, there's still some. I mean, there's the story. The story's not finished yet. So, the story is always ever evolving, which is really kind of a hard thing, right? Because I mean, if you you know you want to move in. You want to get everything and you want to make sure that you get everything, especially up to the point where you are when you finish the book, right? And, and right now, life for me is is constantly evolving and it's 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 evolving amazingly. So, um, you know, we'll get there. We'll, we'll finish it. I mean, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in terms of that, uh, in terms of some of the stuff that's in the book, there's like, there's a lot of evolving and a lot of things that happened. And, and it's kind of, to be honest, Neil, it's kind of cool the way that we've, over the course of time, of being able to write this book because so much has happened and it's kind of like a timeline book, not just an autobiography. You know what I mean? So, all right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. We haven't forgotten about it. <laughs> no, we haven't. Neil hasn't. He no. keeps reminding us. So, and that's a good thing. So that kind of kicks us in the book. I messaged him to say, hi, Mr. Busby. How are you doing? When's the book coming? Not even like, Hey, how's it going? he wants to read it he wants to read it he wants to read it so it's all good but but guys um i'll touch base with you and thank you again for for tonight and uh this is a to be continued so i look forward to uh talking again all right cool all right peace out all right thank you guys no problem neil anytime what's that kevin thank you kevin thanks kevin yeah boss Neil, we, we need to do this more often because there's a lot of funny, good stories and there's a lot of there's a lot of fun that we had in Slick with along with a lot of, of bullshit too. But there's a lot of fun that we had in, in that band. And you know what? It's good to share those stories because those stories make me remember it, make me remember that it, it was a really good time and not so fucking shitty sometimes. That's Absolutely. Cool. That's Absolutely. Awesome. Good. Good. And, and I mean, it, I mean, and if we do have to do a third episode, we can. That's yeah. I'm always, I'm always up for that, and I know you guys are. So perfect. Okay, guys, you guys have a great night. We'll talk soon. You got it, man.
Cheers. Peace out. Cheers. 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 Take care. See you later.